As I said, we are in our identity series. This is a series that we do every year where we look at who we are in Christ and why it matters. Um, and the fact that our identity comes from uh, God's nature, that, that who God is uh, shapes who we are and what we do as a result of that. So we, last week we looked at the fact that we are disciples of Jesus, that we are learning how to become aware and attuned to God's presence in our lives. Uh, as the kingdom shows up and makes uh, God's uh, work and his life available to us. And uh, so today we're going to be looking at our identity as family. Um, so we already talked a bit about how we're going to be family to uh, some foster families and to help support them. But what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to be a family? Uh, well, the central idea that we're going to tease out is that to be part of a family means that you belong. To be part of a family means that you belong. Um, and so the good news that we proclaim today is that though we've been trained to constantly question our belonging and to work to secure it, which only leaves us feeling anxious, fearful, and full of shame, the good news of the gospel is that in our baptism, God frees us from the oppression of needing to secure our own identity by giving us, proclaiming over us, a new identity as beloved children of God who belong to him and to one another as one new family in Christ. We're going to look at Galatians 3 uh, today. So uh, Galatians 3, verses 23 to 29, and then we're going to uh, tack on Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Uh, to this. You'll see why in a second. But Paul says this to the church in the region of Galatia. Galatians 3, starting in verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, that is faith in Jesus, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Verse 26, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Uh, this little section and this uh, short letter was written by Paul, who was a church planter to a network of house churches across Asia Minor. And in order to understand his logic and message, you have to understand the problem that these churches were facing. The context is that these small churches were made up of two ethnic groups, one of them Jewish and the other non-Jewish. And the Jewish Christians, they had considered themselves the family of God. They are Abraham's seed, Abraham's descendants, chosen by God as his elect people, not 
to be set apart for themselves, but elect to be God's representatives to the world, to show the world what he's like. But now, Jesus has come, who is God's true son, which means that everyone, no matter what family you came from, whether Abraham's or another, you are welcome to be part of God's family now. You have equal status. This sounds amazing, right? This is good news. So what's the problem? The problem is that there was a group of Christians who were Jewish known as Judaizers. And what they were doing is they were traveling from one church to another in order to convince the non-ethnically Jewish believers that they had to submit themselves to circumcision. In a sense that they had to become Jewish in in order to belong. And the effect of their message was that uh, even if people did submit themselves to this uh, ritual, that it created a class system whereby some people in the community were more welcome than others. There was a differential of power and status. Some on the inside, some on the outside. So what Paul is saying here is that um, God's law, which was the place where God had said that that God's people were to perform this sign of belonging, he says, in a sense, that whole deal was only a guardian. It was a tutor or a teacher. It was preparation to get you ready for the real thing. And now that real thing has come. That real thing is here. And so he doesn't talk about how everyone should be circumcised. He talks about how everyone is baptized, which is a whole different thing. Baptism is a a naming ceremony. It's It's a celebration of God giving us new identity based on what he pronounces over you, not where you came from, not what you've done, not what you could do, not what status you hold. You're given freely a new identity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so baptism is a, a, is a sign that we identify with Christ in his burial and resurrection. It's saying that all that's true of Jesus is now true of me. It's my new name. And because we have this new name, not based on what we've done, but what God has done, it brings newfound freedom to live without anxiety or confusion because we know who we are. And based on what God has said, we are accepted. We belong. See, Paul is saying that your baptism, he assumes everyone has done this at one point or another, means that you are God's children. You're adopted into his family forever. You're chosen. You're elect. And so this is, this is um, news that both the Christian Jewish, ethnically Jewish Christians and the non-ethnically Jewish Christians needed to hear. There is no Jew or Gentile anymore. To the Jewish Christians, there is no 
need to hold on to your own identity or force people to submit to your identity because you have a new one in Christ. Stop it. (laughs) Cut it out. And to the non-Jewish Gentile believers, he says, you don't need to feel less than. You don't need to worry. You don't need to be full of anxiety or fear or shame because you too are one in Christ. You belong here. In other words, we're baptized into Christ and when that happens, we hear the same thing Jesus heard at his baptism. What was true of Jesus is now true of, of us. God declares over us, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I love. I'm well pleased with you. We are that beloved family. Not based on our our, our performance or our origin, but based on God's announcement over us. The good news that we proclaim today, family, is that in our baptism, God frees us from the oppression of needing to secure our own identity by giving us a new identity based as his beloved children who belong to him and to each other, one new family in Christ. See, the the thing is, even though this was true, this is true of us, it was true of the people that Paul is speaking to, um, it's not that they didn't know this in their heads, it's that it wasn't activated in their hearts. Paul says to them, I already taught you this. You know it already. But they had gone through an experience which made them question the things that they knew to be true. There was a gap between their lived experience that they don't belong and the reality of that belonging, which was secure, even though they didn't know it. And I want to contend that when it comes to our belonging, that gap exists for us too. That gap exists for us. In fact, that gap uh, is what drives much of our anxiety, our fear, our shame. That like the Galatians, that gap was created in response to lived experiences that undermine or destroy our sense of belonging. This has happened to each of us in one way, shape, or form. Um, I've mentioned this before, but the, the, the theory that... Um, that gives language to some of these lived experiences and why we doubt our uh, connection to God and to other people is called attachment theory. Um, and attachment theory is the study of how we've learned to form relational attachments to other people and to God. It looks at how experiences create um, uh, protective mechanisms that insulate us from feeling insecure, from feeling like we don't belong. And so when we go through experiences that, that, that call into question or destroy our sense of belonging, um, our loss of connection with other people, our bodies respond in some way that we naturally employ as a protective measure to, to, to hold ourselves together when everything else is falling apart. Um, and this, this happens early, 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 early. We, we learn these bodily reactions. When, um, when we're on the playground and a child says, I don't want to be your friend because you're stupid. 
when we're nine and our parents go through a divorce and they're fighting over who gets the kids. When we're a teenager and we're in a dating relationship and it gets broken and trust is broken. All of us, we go through these things. We, we come by our strategies for belonging honestly. No one chose the way that, that you react to these circumstances and situations. It's what seemed best to you at the time, even if you didn't consciously choose it. The problem is that these, uh, these attachments follow us through life. We, we never give up our strategies. And even when they're not called for, even when we're told that the truth is that we do belong, so we can drop these strategies, we, they, we still find that they follow us again and again and again. These patterns of how we relate to God and to other people based on the junk that's happened to us at one point or another in life because of the fallen world that we live in. So um, there, there are several of these. We're going we're gonna to talk about three. Um, the first is called anxious attachment. Anxious attachment. This is a, a pattern of worriedly seeking closeness with God and other people, fearing that the moment that we relax will backslide into separation. It's a way of over-functioning to make up for the lack of someone else's interest in being in relationship with you. Anxious attachment says, it is entirely up to me to maintain closeness with God and with others. And because I have to be the one to maintain it, I can't actually rest. So the, the reason that we relate to God this way is because we've been taught at some point that keeping connection with people is entirely up to us too. So this anxiously clinging to others as though they are a helium-filled balloon just waiting to fly off if we don't hold on to the string. Because if we don't keep connection with it, who will? Many of us have, um, this has been reinforced by the way that we talk about the Christian life. We're told that we have to have a, a quiet time and do it daily. We have to pray. We have to never miss church. We have to commit ourselves again and again and again to battling whatever sin has become our vice. And if we do these things well enough, often enough, if we don't miss, if we don't take a day off, then we'll have the connection that we are promised. God will be pleased with us. But when we can't do these things, we get this anxious unease that we might not be clinging hard enough. It's exhausting work. But it's better than the alternative, which is to be left alone, right? See, th these are fun, aren't they? Let's do another. <laughs> Some of you are like, shoo, I don't, I don't attach anxiously. All right, how about number two? Uh, shutdown attachment. Shutdown attachment is a pattern of trying to shut down our negative emotions because that's the way we've learned how to get close to people. When we're messy, when we're dirty, when we're, when we're not put together enough, 
people don't want to be around us. It's the belief that emotions um, like fear and sadness and pain and doubt, these are incompatible with the life of faith. And so we try hard, uh, as hard as we can, not to feel these things. Clamp them down. And we often use religious language to do so. Saying things like, God is in control, so why should I worry? Don't worry. God is in control. Don't worry. God is in control. What are we saying? God won't accept me if I don't believe he's in control. If my worry is too great, God will turn his face from me. See, we, in, uh, in shutdown attachment, we want to show God our best. And we want to be the ones to deal with all the more vulnerable parts of being a human on our own. Or better yet, if we can't deal with them, we'll pretend that they don't exist. But over time, without the ability to go to God with our stress, the problem is that it becomes increasingly difficult to feel authentically connected to God and to other people. And so the, this practices of shutdown spirituality, they leave us starved for the true connection that we need because we can't face the real us. That's, that's me. I know that one well. Um, third, shame-filled attachment. Those of you who snuck out on the, on the first two, get ready. <laughs> um, shame-filled attachment. It teaches us that the best way to get close to God is to shame and blame ourselves. We fall below the standard of perfection, and the best way to get God's attention is to tell him that. And so we tell ourselves that we, if we could just be a little bit better, then we would get close to God. But because we can't ever quite transform enough, um, the least that we could do is punish ourselves for not being good enough before God gets the chance. So we end up trying to get close to God by proving to God that we know how bad we are and how unlovable we should be. How unworthy we are. See, this is the kid who constantly criticizes himself. This has this like overworking inner critic to, to tell him how bad he is before his parents get a chance to. You never have to um, ground a kid with shame-filled attachment. They've grounded themselves before you ever get the chance. Because if you can find all the faults with yourself, then, um, then you can use that as a way to gain closeness with your parents. The shame-filled foundation is the belief that we are never good enough to get love and belonging. Again, we can put Christian language to this sort of thing. But in this attachment style, we resort to hating the person that we are today, hoping that God will at least see that we've fallen short. The problem is that we only find ourselves vacillating between judgmental nearness and lonely distance. 
And we've completely lost the vision of the Father who delights in us. And in so doing, we've also lost the vision of ourselves as children of God, dearly loved by him. Can you relate to any of these pictures of what it feels like to relate to God or each other? The good news today is that though we've constantly been trained to question our belonging, to work to secure it, which only leaves us feeling anxious, fearful, and full of shame. In our baptism, God frees us from this oppression by giving us a new identity as beloved children who belong to one another and to him as one new family in Christ. See, I I left out the fourth uh, attachment theory, and it's sort of the one that we're all um, working our way towards, but it's called secure attachment. Secure attachment, which is a a pattern in which we know that we're loved in a way that goes beyond our shortcomings and our successes. And so rather than striving for closeness, we can rest knowing that God delights in us because God can handle our sadness, our pain, our fear, our doubt. We don't have to hide our difficult emotions from him. We can be who we are. And when we know that God is always drawing near to us, we don't have to hate the unholy parts of ourselves. We can drop the acting and the hiding and the justifying and just ask for help. We can be compassionately curious with ourselves, even our worst selves. This is true communion. It's like an infant falling into its mother's embrace without fear of losing that connection. It's finding God as a refuge from a scary and chaotic world. See, when we've been taught uh, secure patterns of relating to God, we can actually step into the joy and the peace and the love that we've been promised as his dearly loved children. So this, this then begs the question, How do you learn secure attachment? How do you learn it? Where do you go to to get the skills necessary for this kind of life with God? Do you go off to a school and think about it? Do you read a lot of books? (laughs) Do you take a few classes? Do you go on a, a spiritual retreat and meditate for a week? Like, Who's got the goods on secure attachment and where do we get it? I want to contend that the way that we achieve secure attachment with God as his children, rather than reverting to the patterns that we've picked up through our families of origin and through our broken world, is by giving ourselves over to God's family called the church. which is hard news to hear because some of the insecure attachment methods that we've learned were a result of being part of the church. I get that. I get it. But Paul says, let us not become weary of doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Some of you are here today after decades of learning awful ways of how to attach to God and other people, and yet you're still here. You haven't become weary. You, you, you are doing the work of staying attached to God's community because you believe that you will reap a harvest as a result. Well done. Well done. Paul says, therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. See, the way that we rebuild our attachment to God is by entrusting ourselves to a community who is also learning how to relate to God in the same ways. You don't, we said this a few weeks ago, um, you don't learn this stuff by becoming more knowledgeable. You learn it by giving yourselves bodily over to God's promises. You put into practice what God says, and as you do that, the knowledge drops from your head to your heart. It goes through your hands. In other words, you, you can't know God as Father without knowing and committing yourselves to brothers and sisters who also call God their Father. And so as we give ourselves over to this reality that we do in fact belong, we start to get in touch with how we belong. Essentially what this means is that we, we're stuck with each other, folks. <laughs> for better, for worse. <laughs> I need you, you need me. Together we are a family. <laughs> Being a family is all about belonging. And belonging is all about discovering that we have the freedom to be and to bring the real us with all of our insecurities, frailties, fears, doubts, questions. Because to hold back means that we'll never reap the harvest in our own lives. We'll continue to live out the patterns that we've received, never becoming who we really are in Christ. Paul knew this was a danger for the Galatian church, and it's a danger for us too. We are daily being discipled by the world to constantly question our belonging. And so we need a place that doesn't um, trade on those same questionable things. That just says, you can be here. You can be who you are here. You're free to receive here. You're free to give here. You're free to practice all of this here. You're free to mess up and fail here. You're free to not get it right the first time or the 50th time or the 500th time or however many times you've tried. So how do we respond today? Well, I think we respond by beginning to ask ourselves what pattern of attachment have we inherited that keeps us from experiencing God as a good father? And how does this pattern hinder us from experiencing belonging with other people? 
If it hasn't become apparent to you just in my giving a description, maybe sit with that question as we go into response time a bit. What are the ways that I've learned to attach to God and to other people? And are they doing good work for me or not? And then secondly, because belief is about putting into practice the promises of God and who we actually are, we have to ask, who in my life right now needs to taste of what it looks like to find their belonging and their identity in Christ? What is my next step in extending the family of God to someone else? Because the truth of the reality is um, you step into who you are oftentimes by giving it away to others. You step into who you are when and you learn how to trust it, how to have confidence in it when you give it away to someone else. Oftentimes for me, the thing that keeps me from doing that is this scarcity mentality that I, that I don't have enough to, to, to do what God has called me to do. I feel like I have less of everything, and even more so just the, the last few years. Maybe you feel it too. Less time, less resources, less emotional energy. But I just want to say this as, a, as an encouragement, if you feel that way too, that God is, he never asks us to give what we don't have to give. He always says to us, what opportunities have I laid before you so that you, as you step into them, you would see a harvest that meets both you and them right where you need me to be. See, God's children never operate apart from his presence and power because we're his kids. We're his kids. And so as he gives you opportunities to give away belonging to others, it could be as simple as, hey, I'm, I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so glad you're here. It could be a gift in word or in deed or in substance. Um, whatever God puts on your heart in particular that you might step into, take the risk and do it. And then watch how his kingdom shows up in your life. That's all. The good news that we proclaim today is that though we're constantly called to question our belonging and to work to secure it, which only leaves us feeling anxious, fearful, and full of shame. In our baptism, God frees us from the oppression of needing to define our own identity by giving us a new one. Beloved children of God who belong to one another in him, this one new family in Christ. Let's pray.